This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 578 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Finales for the Super Sons, Jesus, and Adam Strange. Harvey flips a coin. Batman, the podcast, the comic. Bruce and Bigby. Ted gets his own sidekick. The Mandroids are here. Black Hammer gets weirder. The Unteens break up. Plus, industry news. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, October 24th, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to the sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher, and maybe leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. We kick things off with three final issues. Challenge of the Super Sons number 7 of 7 by Tomasi, Raynor, and Guerrero. Antagonist Felix Faust and Vandal Savage bring us up to date. Rara brought the boys back to the present. She escaped, and now they finally caught up to the present. John and Damien try to figure out how they themselves ended up on the Doom Scroll and why they are still alive. John wonders if they're actually dead, and Damien notes he already did that. No need to recount my brush with death or my father's, for that matter. They are interrupted by Aurora and the bad guys. She wants to take out the time doorway, but John throws Faust through and Savage through it first. Problem solved? Well, no. That was the Faust and Savage from the past. The ones that actually waited all this time arrive. A fight ensues, then ends when the boys offer themselves in order to save Rora. All appears to be lost, and then the League arrives and kicks the evildoers' butts. Clark and Bruce say, you've got some splaining to do. In the epilogue, we're back with the boys, now old men, finishing the story for their grandkids who have fallen asleep. There's more stories to tell, but that's for another day. Damien asks John why he's looking straight out at us. Don't worry, they know. Well, what we know is that John and Damien will return in a special early next year, featuring the now older John Kent. Second Coming, Only Begotten Son, number six of six from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Pace, Kirk, and Troy. We begin in 1341 A.D. as local rabbis debate whether the baker's new oven is kosher or not. He used sand in the mortar. Well, it may be an oven, but nowhere in the Torah is the use of sand forbidden. The lead rabbi asks for a sign from God, and a tree burst into flame outside. Uh, what does a tree know of the law? Another asks for a sign, and a goat flies into space. Another request for a sign makes the walls rumble. It seems like they just want to debate about it. Meanwhile, in present-day heaven... God is glad that Jesus visited him, and Jesus replies he may just stay. He got his disciples killed both times he went to earth. 
God takes him to see Jesus' old journal and his beanbag chair, noting that he had some good ideas in it and, whether it's art or religion or some crank's manifesto, it doesn't change anything until you let someone else see it. Meanwhile, Sunstar returns to Cherkaya, where the president, who just tried to kill him recently, offers him antiquities to help fund his new efforts. Of course, it's Solonite, and of course, they bought it online, so it's useless. Sunstar is flying the Cherkayan president to prison when he gets word that his wife's water broke. Back to heaven, and God tells Jesus the end of the rabbi story. They ask for God himself to show them a sign. Feeling charitable, he does so, appearing in front of them and saying the oven is fine. With all due respect, Lord, where did you study the Torah? Oh, for F's sake! The point, once God's law is laid down, it's up to the people to make it their own. He then tells Jesus that the fact that the human race will change your teachings doesn't mean you failed. It just means you've created something bigger than yourself. What you've created is a child, and nothing will break your heart like a child. Jesus decides to return to earth. The old crabby guy and the old hippie woman find happiness together in heaven. Sunstar gets to the hospital just in time. Jesus pitched in to help, and that wraps it up. Strange Adventures number 12 of 12 from DC Black Label by King Gerards and Shaner. Alana and Mr. Terrific return to the Picks to get her child back. Terrific doing the translating. Alana is in no mood to wait on bureaucratic channels and takes out an envoy with a blaster. Later, a blood-splattered Alana finds her daughter and takes her home. Cut to a flashback with Adam and Alana fighting a sand monster trying to get back to normal after the war. Adam wants them to go to Earth, but Alana wants to help rebuild Ron. She notes that she can barely breathe the air there, ironically cutting to the current escape ship with Alana smoking a cigarette. She plans to return to Ron, preparing for a new picked attack, and leaving her daughter on Earth. Who will take care of the girl? Why, Mr. Terrific, of course. If you hadn't interfered, my child would be living a happy, peaceful life with both of her parents. You ruined her life. This is the least you can do. Alana has clearly been broken by the events in this series. Another flashback, Alana completing Adam's memoir and making him a hero. Later, Terrific is working out and being tested by Alana's daughter. The final shot is Adam back at the bookstore to sign copies of his book. This was very confusing with all the flashbacks and forwards. King's other current book, Batman Catwoman, suffers from this. It seems like Tom King comes up with great concepts, but just can't land the plane. Do you think that that might be because the issues are just so far apart you can't keep track of things? It's definitely written for a trade. Yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Now we have three views of The Dark Knight. Batman 89, number three of six by Ham, Quinones, and Ito. Harvey saves the day, at least in his dreams, while half his face is being eaten away by battery acid in the middle of a fire. He pulls Tim Drake out of the blaze, becomes a hero, and is elected governor while Barbara becomes the commissioner. His old mentor shows up and tells him it's all a flip of the coin. You become the hero or the villain. In actuality, Harvey is dragged out of the blaze and wants to give a speech when people see his face. Bruce, in the crowd, he actually saved Drake, says Dent inhaled acid fumes. He is probably a goner. Bruce is made the hero and finds reporters outside the mansion. 
Dent in the hospital has dreams about how things could have been different. He died in the drunk driving accident instead of his mother. He went to prison for a liquor store holdup and the governor hero option. He awakes to see Barbara and asks for his coin. He scratches out one side and asks it if she loves him or not. Fortunately, it says she does. Bruce and Selena have a tete-a-tete on the rooftops. She wants to run away with him to Mexico or just take over Gotham together. Instead, he runs off to stop the arsonists while Dent watches the news coverage of the fires. Soul of Gotham. Flip. To hell with it. Batman the Audio Adventure Special Number 1 by McNicholas, Romero, Marquis, Peralta, Kubert, Pogi, Monahan, Mikkel, Gardner, Edgar, Shear, Ba, Baronholtz, Donovan, and Hervis. So there's something strange DC is producing. It's an audio podcast, which you could subscribe to like any other podcast, or you can watch it on HBO Max. If you go that route, you just see a graphic on screen of a bat-themed radio while the audio plays. The series is all based in Gotham and seems to be an homage to the 90s animated series with a bit more comedy, hearkening to the Adam West series. Meanwhile, DC put out a special that ties into this podcast series. Dennis McNichol, the main writer, is directing and writing the podcast series. He's a writer for SNL. The concept is that Batman has decided to formally join with the GCPD, hoping he can work with them and help Gordon clean up internal corruption. A set of short stories are tied together by Jack Ryder, a news commentator, and who will later become the Creeper. We get Batman fighting the blind mice gang, handing them off to the cops. A minor thug, new in Gotham and the U.S., deciding he needs a gimmick to be taken seriously there. Catwoman getting the drop on the blind mice gang stash. An out-of-town lounge singer learning a painful lesson from the Penguin. Riddler talked down, at least temporarily, by Miss Tuesday. Dick Grayson, undercover, stops a drug operation targeting other kids. Two-Face arguing between his two personalities. And finally, Joker making some plans which will lead directly into the podcast. I think DC may have accidentally stumbled into actual synergy here. Batman vs. Bigby, A Wolf in Gotham, Book 2 by DC Black Label, by Willingham, Level, Lyston, and Lawfridge. The Gotham-slash-Fables crossover continues. Bruce is awakened by Alfred, who tells him his prisoner, Bigby Wolf, is gone, and the Batcave is trashed. Then we see Robin training a group of young soldiers. They're trying to move up from being eggs to chickens to Robins. Apparently, Bruce, in this continuity, has a whole squadron of troops. Bruce tells Robin to send his best troops into the city to gather intelligence on the mysterious wolf. Bigby is taking more direct measures, roughing up hoods to learn about the Executive Exchange, a black market where you can get all kinds of contraband, a Paradise Island sword, Parademon sidearms, an Atlantean disintegrator lance. It works better underwater, but... He goes there to find a powerful book and starts a riot instead. He then checks in with Molly Grace, who is actually Cinderella. She became a secret agent in the Fableverse. She brings him up to speed about Gotham and Batman. Later, Bruce is hosting a literary festival shindig, and Bigby crashes the party. They have a conversation outside. Bigby is unrepentant about the damage. Next time, consider the consequences of kidnapping an innocent man. Bruce knows Bigby has blood in his hands. 
During all this, the literary gang activates Operation Alexandria, which involves explosions citywide. Sounds like Bruce and Bigby are about to team up. Blue and Gold number 3 of 8 by Jurgens, Hamner, and Sotomayor. The alien who is stopped by our heroes returns and finds the flags in front of the U.N. building. When told they represent the Earth's nations, she retorts, Impossible. The only ruler on this world is me. Meanwhile, Booster is about to move into their new HQ when he's told they haven't seen a check yet. He calls Ted. Where's the check? Ted, as we know, just got kicked off Cord Industries and is basically broke. The alien has sent up a huge column of light. Booster sees it and starts running, with people asking him if he'll be on their podcasts. The alien takes a few ambassadors hostage. There's a fight between the alien, Omnizon, and Booster, all of course being live-streamed with commentary. I'll go steady with you, Boosty. Anybody want to take bets on who wins? This will get ugly. As usual, Ted arrives in his bug car to save Booster's bacon, but ends up in her clutches instead. Ted calls in Buggles. It's like his version of Skeets, and it blasts Omnizon, apparently disintegrating her. Ted tells Booster he's broke, and suddenly an old friend arrives. It's Trixie Collins, Booster's ex-secretary, who offers them a space next to her yoga studio. But what about the rent? Crowdsourcing! Oh, and Buggles didn't take out Omnison, just transported her using stolen JLA tech to a remote swamp. And she's not happy about it. Not All Robots, number three from AMA Upshot by Russell Diodato Jr. and Luffridge. Well, things are not going well in the near future. Protesters have hit the streets regarding the accidental mass suffocation at Bubble Disney World. The ruling council, who we learn are basically the Elon Musks of their day, now officially in charge, need a solution. Back to the family with the mom promising everything will be okay. The daughters reply, no, it's not mom. It never was. Cut to a flashback where grandma, pre-bubbles and robot takeover, has decided to stay on her land. Unfortunately, that land is later engulfed in wildfires. That's when the daughter knew Nothing you can do will save me. Meanwhile, the ruling council have come up with a solution. Move forward with the mandroids. They are more stable, a.k.a. less stabby, and can be customized to be whatever you wish. Culturally acceptable black friend, validating underling, grandroid, a.k.a. robot grandma. They will fully replace the existing robots over time. What's going to happen to them? Unpredictive robots have a way of taking themselves out of commission as we see a robot on a bench with a gun in their hand. Back to our robot-loving dad who's chatting with a neighbor who's ready to take the plunge with a mandroid. At the factory, Snowball takes kids on a tour, showing how he will be replaced. His only hope is a promotion, which ends up going to his robot buddy. A high school class is shown a historical film which fills in some blanks. Human conflict is about resources— That's why nation-states were born, to hold on to those resources. Now the lucky members of the ruling council own the only thing worth owning, AI and automation. They gave every home a housebot, making wars obsolete. Two students plan to go to the resistance meeting. Snowball returns home, and when Dad tries to relate to him, I know what it's like to be replaced, to feel inadequate. Snowball goes into a rage. I'm worth more than the rest of you combined. I'm the only thing keeping this family afloat. Don't you forget it. The rest of the family discuss getting a mandroid, but realize they can't afford one. 
He makes surprisingly little money for a robot. Dad watches a news show where the head of the ruling council is interviewed. We have shown people the future, and apparently they like it. The neighbor gets his mandroid who happens to look like a bikinied version of our hero's wife. The dad has had it and gets a mandroid himself, the grandroid model. The daughter is thrilled until she discovers it's the ad-based model. Your interests seem to indicate death and hope. So for the next five seconds, receive 20% off on all cryogenic freezing. Cryogenics, it turns death into a nap. Our last two comics are from The Hammerverse. Black Hammer, Reborn, number four by Lemire, Yarsky, Stewart, and Piekos. And The Unbelievable Undines, number three by Lemire and Crook. Our main storyline returns us to Lucy's living room where Colonel Weird tells her and the family that it's time for Lucy to suit up. He opens up a portal and tells Lucy to grab the hammer or risk being turned inside out. They fly through the parazone with a window showing her 20 years earlier and the fight with Doc Andromeda. Now the warp zones have returned. Weird tells her the parazone is not what he thought it was, and Lucy sees various windows showing her life story, including some bad stuff. They are not perfect, but they are yours. Back to 20 years ago and the final battle. Andromeda's plan bring back the anti-god. Lucy is forced to stop Andromeda with lethal force. You weren't supposed to. Heroes, heroes don't kill. They return to the present-day living room, and Weird proceeds to vaporize her family. Because you told me to. Weird zaps out, leaving Lucy alone. In the Unteens book, the group stands around Snapdragon's comatose body. Dr. Moniker asks Carlos to watch over her, and it just turned into a job at the hospital. Moniker decided post-White Race Saga that it would be too painful for them, so he wiped their memories. Cut to the comic within a comic, where Jack convinces Snapdragon to follow her into a mystic realm so they can find out what's connecting into her mind. Of course, it's a trap, and Snapdragon's mind is lost. Moniker goes to consult with Madame Dragonfly, well, there's the tie into the main series, back to the hospital room where Jack tries to get the team to go back and save Dragonfly. They learn Moniker died five years ago. Back to the comic, Jack convinces the rest of the team to come with him to the mystical realm, which goes badly. Snapdragon's mind attacks the wraith, which is what he wants. After the battle, she offers her soul to let Jack go free. Back to the hospital. Straka says no, he has a family now. Carlos also refuses and tells the others they should just go back to forgetting. Let's wrap things up with some comic book news. DC held another fandom event this week, mostly related to the upcoming movies and TV shows. Black Adam. Dwayne Johnson infers that Adam is more powerful than Superman. On the CW's The Flash, Barry will finally get gold boots. Wow, yay! The Milestone Initiative will develop new comic creatives concentrating on underserved communities. More on that in a moment. Teasers for Pacemaker, League of Super Pets, Doom Patrol's upcoming episodes, the upcoming Sandman series, a Blue Beetle movie with the Latino version, not Ted, a Naomi series on the CW. The Flash film will include the Michael Keaton Batman, an alternate brunette Supergirl, and a second Barry. Yep, it's the multiverse. Too bad Marvel and Doctor Strange are beating you to it and a bunch of other stuff. 
We mentioned the Milestone Initiative. Well, one of the people applying for an up-and-coming underserved community slot is Michael Davis, one of the founders of Milestone. He's majorly responsible for static and has been a mentor to many creatives over the years, the late John Paul Leon, Bernard Chang, and Phil Jimenez, to name a few. Why is he applying? To make a point. He was never brought into the discussion about the Milestone reboot or any related projects. He learned about it from press releases. Very bad optics, DC. Meanwhile, at the LCS, Penguin Random House, who totally dropped the ball taking over Marvel's distribution with damaged boxes and comics, has apparently learned their lesson using, get this, bubble wrap in comic boxes. Who would have thunk it? Oh, and the industry is running out of bags and boards due to the worldwide supply chain apocalypse. Lunar Distribution, now handling DC and other publishers, told their LCSs they would no longer be able to send rare cover variants in bags and boards, which is the normal process, because they can't get them. So, if your $100 variant copy is damaged, too bad. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.